Hello and welcome to the Life Together podcast, where we share in meaningful conversation about living for Christ and loving one another. Thanks for joining today, and we hope you enjoy this episode. Well, hey everyone, and welcome to what will be the final episode for, I guess we could say, this season. Um, So far, all these conversations have been really helpful and encouraging to me, and I hope they've been that way for you as well. And while we're kind of taking a break for the holiday season with Thanksgiving coming up and Christmas and New Year's around the corner, uh, we have some ideas, some, I would say, exciting plans in mind for season two. And the goal is to have that rolling by February. So stay tuned for that. And in the meantime, we may have some unrelated podcasts thrown in there. Uh, But joining me for the final episode for this season is Lawrence Kelly. Hello. So welcome back and tell us about uh, life for you and Janice and the what seems like ever increasing Kelly clan right now. <laughs> yeah, yeah, things are uh, things are going great. Janice is doing awesome as always, and uh, we're waiting for our sixth grandchild to uh, to arrive any day now. So we're super excited about that. But everything's going really good. Yeah. Nothing to complain about. Yeah, there we go. Well, that's a good segue into our topic for today, which is on gratitude. Uh, With Thanksgiving right around the corner, kind of wanted to make this last uh, episode on Thanksgiving. And uh, there's there's a verse that comes to mind when I think about uh, gratitude, and that's 1 Thessalonians 5.18, when Paul says, "...give thanks in all circumstances." for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. Now, we'll get to that verse toward the end. We'll kind of unpack and explore that. But right away, there's so many, I think, challenging ideas in there to give thanks in all circumstances. But then there's this beautiful idea that this is God's will for us. Um, And so as we approach this holiday season of Thanksgiving, uh, I can't think of any better idea to meditate on, to pray about, and a lens to look through week by week than the lens of uh, of gratitude. Um, but gratitude doesn't just kind of happen to us. In fact, something else typically happens to us first, and uh, it reminds me of a series that we did a couple years back that we called Live Thankful. And it was kind of a three-part series, but uh, Lawrence, I guess if you want to share kind of what the approach was in that series, um, the idea behind it, and how that kind of led into uh, a greater appreciation and understanding of what it means to give thanks in all circumstances as it's God's will for us. Yeah, so uh, the, the series, the the thing that everybody remembers about the series, because some people uh, notice every now and then you'll still see somebody wearing one, was the wristbands that said, you know, live thankful on them. And uh, the original idea after the first lesson when we handed those out was you have to, in the morning when you wake up, because the Lord's mercies are new every morning, you get to put the wristband on your right wrist. And you can keep it there as long as you do not murmur or complain. But as soon as you utter your first complaint or murmur in the day, 
you got to take the wristband off the right wrist, put it on the on the left, and there it stays until the next morning. So uh, that was the the basic idea. And so the first lesson in that was really just, hey, let's take this in baby steps. The first thing we've got to do is just stop complaining. And uh, that's a harder thing for a lot of us to do than we realize. And I think the wristbands, in part, really brought that to the surface. Yeah, we really began to notice. Wow, I complain early and often. You know. Yep. And uh, I've really got to work on this. And I, I remember part of the thing that initiated the the, the drive to do the sermon was just hearing a, a waitress say how much harder her job had become over the years because people were complaining so much more mm. than they used to. Uh, she had been involved in that service industry for a long time. And I'd also read something about managers in service-oriented uh, companies having to come to the aid of their workers in an increasingly frequent fashion. You know, it used to be customers always right. But customers have become so full of complaints and abusive that they actually just had to start sticking up for their employees uh, because of the verbal abuse. And I think living in that context, it just becomes easy to be formed by the culture around you and you become a complainer and murmurer uh, ourselves, which is just so much the opposite of what God created us to be. So yeah, uh, the beginning place was to just you know stop complaining and uh, we got to thinking in that lesson about what are the things that we complain about. Mm. Um, you know, most of the time I complain about things just not going my way. Uh, my schedule getting interrupted, um, you know, traffic. Um, you get on those high-speed um, moving sidewalks at the airport. That's mm-hmm. like my yeah. pet peeve. Yeah. You know, these things are there to double or triple your speed, not for you to just get to stand still on. Yeah. <laughs> and so if I'm if I'm trying to get from gate to gate and I'm making you know, really fast progress on a moving sidewalk at the airport and somebody's just standing there in the middle of it, oh, it just kills me. And I, you know, <laughs> complain about that kind of thing. But it's always putting me at the center, how I think things should go and turn out. And then complaining bitterly when it's not the way I want it to be. Yeah, yeah. I can definitely relate to some of those complaints. Airports are tough for everyone. It's like there's no chance that I'm going to – my wristband is going to survive the day without being switched at an airport. Um, but what I think is interesting is how we tend to complain the most about the people we love the most. Mm. It's like we're the least gracious toward – uh, those who we assume, uh, you know, the best relationship with. I think that's something that's like an interesting correlation. Yeah. We, we begin to take for granted those relationships and, you know, well, she can't leave me. So, you mm. know, she's, she's got too much invested so I can yeah. <laughs> complain and gripe all, all I want. And uh, it's such a, such a bad idea. But certainly um, being a complainer, being ungrateful has never made any of us a better spouse or a better parent or brought us closer to God or attracted other people to Christ. I don't, I doubt uh, in the history of, of Christianity that anyone has been attracted to Christ because I was a complainer or you were a complainer uh, mumbling incessantly about the, the way things are. So, you know, I think of Philippians 2, 14 mm-hmm. and 15 that says, do everything without grumbling or arguing 
And then he gives you know the so that statement. Why? Why not yeah. grumble or complain? So that you may become blameless and pure, children of God without fault in a warped and crooked generation. Then you will shine among them like stars in the sky. Mm. You know, God really wants His people to stand out, and one of the ways that we do that is by stop complaining and start uh, praising God. Start using our our tongues for good. Uh, rather than for evil. And I, I like that statement that he uses there that we can shine like stars in the sky. It just makes me think about Abraham and the mm. promises that his descendants you know, would be as numerous as the stars of the sky. And of course, God's calling of Abraham and making of him a great nation uh, was so that they would be different than the world around them. And of course, that would you know, include the way that they didn't murmur and complain. Uh, yeah. Sadly, we know yeah. from reading the, our, our Old Testaments that very quickly they failed to shine like stars in the sky. And one of their great sins in the wilderness, or even before they got into the wilderness, while they're still standing uh, on the shore of the Sea of uh, the Red Sea, is is they start complaining yeah. bitterly uh, about you know why didn't God just leave us or kill us in Egypt? Why did He bring us out here to to kill us here? Were there no graves in Egypt? Yeah. So, yeah, I think it shows how much more instinctive complaining is than giving thanks, than praising. Um, uh, we tend to uh, f- fall into a habit of being a murmurer much more easily than being known as a, a, a praiser. Um, and uh, I think it's interesting that in time, it's it's uh, they become a murmur. They're not just mm. murmuring, but they they actually become that. Yeah, C.S. Lewis talks about that in his his book, The Great Divorce, of how how people can actually, you know, and I guess this is true with any sin, but maybe especially mm-hmm. this one. You know, what starts off as just an occasional grumble, eventually, it's like a sins are like seeds, and they grow in yeah. us, and then transform us, and form us actually into where we're nothing left of us, but a a constant murmur, complaint, right. and grumble. And it starts early. You know, you, you take your kids to, to Disneyland, <laughs> and uh, for for however many hour drive it is, there's nothing from the back seat but uh, complaining about the long car ride. And you tell yourself, you know, it's okay because once they see that that mouse, once they see those teacups, once they see that, that castle, you know, it's going to be nothing but – Dad, you're the greatest all the way down Main Street, USA. And what, you know, the really special times is when you're a half hour into the Magic Kingdom and one of your kids says, I want to go back to the hotel and watch TV. (laughs) This is boring. (laughs) (laughs) After you've just spent half of your year's salary, you know, to get everybody Uh down here. But these are things, like you said, that just seem to almost uh, come natural to us. And it really does take. God's supernatural power and conversion to open our eyes to the goodness around us, uh, to the hope that we have before us, so that we begin to speak words of, of, that are positive, that are encouraging, that are grateful and thankful and, and full of praise instead of bitterness and complaint. Yeah, definitely. So, so stop complaining, start praising. Um, Here's where I wonder if there could be just a little bit of pushback. Um, maybe there's people listening and they're thinking maybe two thoughts. Um, 
one, uh, well, how do I praise or how do I give thanks in all circumstances? Like I can think of a lot of situations where maybe it doesn't seem uh, right to give thanks or I don't really want to give thanks. And then also balancing that with the idea throughout the Psalms and throughout the prophets where sometimes even the word complaint is used. Uh, people bring their complaint before God. Um, how do we how do we balance that understanding of you know stop complaining, start praising? But there are things in life that uh, situations in life that are maybe really difficult to give thanks in, and a precedent in Scripture that gives at least some validity to the idea of bringing complaints before. God, uh, what are your thoughts on on that? Yeah, that's really uh, important because, as you indicate, there are plenty of places in Scripture where we don't just have examples of people complaining, and that the text is clearly critical of their complaining, like the children of Israel in the desert. But you have Psalms, which are basically unique in the sense that they're not just God's word given to us, but God gives us the words to use in speaking back to him. Uh, these are, are divinely inspired prayers, and many of them are psalms of lament and of, of complaint. And I think one of the key things that you notice there is that those complaints are directed to God. In other words, their cries out of pain and anguish and disappointment and a, a failure to be able to make sense of the the bad things that are happening around us. But instead of talking about God and complaining about our circumstances and murmuring to other people, it's a prayer of the, that really comes from a place of, of faith and the belief that God, you you are good. And I know I know at the most fundamental level of reality that 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 things are good good, but this particular circumstance that I'm finding myself in is hard, uh, and it's beyond my ability to, to deal with, and so I'm bringing this to you. And And what we find is that in most of those psalms, after a person pours out their heart and explains their circumstance, that you find them working their way through it, and there's a few exceptions to this, but in almost all of those psalms, what begins in complaint begins in lament, uh, ends in faith and in praise. But, you know, trying to always frame our current circumstances in the context of that great story. You know, I love, I love reading novels and, and, and great fiction in part because, you know, a great writer, the, the best writers always uh, have the um, – main characters, you know, the protagonist is, is going to go through really difficult things. And if he doesn't, it's generally not a very good story. You know, yeah. nobody was going to bother to read one that there's never any conflict, never any downward turn that the character has to rise above and, and overcome. Yeah. Uh, but, you know, the best stories also have some kind of uh, resolution uh, in them as well. And I think us realizing that God among other things is, you know, the greatest storyteller of all time. And um, as difficult as the struggle can be in the middle of the story, if, if we remember, 
yeah, um, he's, he's a good author. He knows what he's doing. And this is going to turn around for the good of, as you said, Romans 8, the good of those who love him. Yeah. And that I have the choice of determining what kind of character I'm going to be in this story. Yeah. Whether I'm going to become the bitter complainer who allows the struggle and the conflict to completely uh, undo me and um, you know turn me into, like you say, nothing left but a murmurer and a bitter, uh, withered uh, character, or whether I can be an overcomer in Christ and experience the victory and one day be able to look back and see how God not only just, uh, you know, outweighed the good, the, the bad with the good, but mm. actually used the bad yeah. as part of, of what turns into the good. I mean, you look at the epicenter of that, which is Jesus on the cross. This is the low point of human history. This is when the whole story bottoms out. It doesn't get darker than when the sun refuses to shine as the Son of God, in some mysterious sense, forsaken of God, uh, dies bearing the sins of the world on his shoulders. And if we had been there looking at that, um, we would have said, there is nothing good that can come of this. Mm. This is unjust, unfair, bleak, dark beyond description. And there's, you know, that's the extinguishing of, of our, of our last hope. But God raised him from the dead. And with that began to turn things around. And, And if we can learn to, to suffer with the same kind of hope that Jesus did, and as you've pointed out, that Paul did uh, with the realization that that God is going to turn this thing around and that he's going to turn our tears into joy, um, then we can find that strength to persevere. And the, the most powerful and compelling thing in the world is for the, the person who in that darkness can find a way to, to praise God before he sees the turn. Mm-hmm. Out of our emptiness, our, our our sorrow, our pain, and still raise a hallelujah in the middle of that. That's what makes God look compelling and beautiful to other people. That's what makes us shine like stars uh, against a black backdrop. And um, yeah, it's, it's Paul and Silas singing hymns while in the stocks after being beaten at prison in prison at midnight, you know, yeah, they're singing. <laughs> and what happens? Well, in the end of the story, the Philippian jailer and his household turn to Christ. Yeah. Yeah. That's such a powerful point. And I think that helps us understand why Paul would say, after noting, give thanks in all circumstances, for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. I think sometimes we can read that as if it's like, you know, God saying, you know, I've done all these things for you, uh, so you, uh, the least I deserve is for your thanks. You know, can I at least get a thanks? You know, this is God's will for you. But I don't think that's the point. I think what Paul's saying in First Thessalonians five eighteen is exactly the the point that we've kind of been driving at. That this is good for us. This is God's will for us because nothing is more beautiful or compelling or transformative within ourselves and for the world than someone who can recognize and believe 
and trust with full confidence in the fact that God will turn sorrow into joy and praise him before they can actually see that happen. There's uh, something that is powerfully compelling in that. And what's interesting is is to, to kind of shift the conversation just slightly, I, I think sort of like positive psychology aligns with this very thing. So Robert Emmons is a researcher uh, based out of UC Davis, and he is kind of like the lead guy for anything on gratitude. Almost any book that you pick up off the shelf is going to have his name associated with it. Um, And in a 2005 study using three control groups who uh, were asked to journal over a 10-week period, uh, he had them do three different things. So the first group over this 10-week period of time journaled on what they were thankful for. The second group over these 10 weeks wrote down their irritations and complaints throughout the day. And then the third was just random. They could write anything uh, they wanted to in this journal. And somewhat unsurprisingly, they found through this study that those who journaled over those 10 weeks on what they were thankful for were all measurably more optimistic and felt better about their lives. Now, that's not surprising, but what was, I think, more surprising is that it also positively impacted almost every other area of their life. Mm -hmm. So their mental, emotional, social, and even physical well-being were all dramatically dramatically improved and noticeably better than the other two control groups. So they were more motivated to do more exercise. They typically slept better. They were more social. They had lower anxiety and rates of depression, uh, fewer, even fewer trips to the doctor. Uh, this study was groundbreaking in the sense that, um, Robert Emmons and this team realized just how transformative the power of gratitude is on a social psychological level. Um, and, and as kind of a summary of that, Dr. Amy Keller, who's a psychologist and marriage and family therapist, has this to share on the topic. She says, experiencing gratitude activates neurotransmitters like dopamine associated with pleasure and serotonin, which regulates our mood. It also causes the brain to release oxytocin, which induces feelings like trust and generosity, which promotes social bonding and feeling connected. So it's just kind of a summary statement of exactly how gratitude, when consistently practiced, truly shapes us on uh, a neurological level, and from that, shapes every other area of our lives in a positive way. And so it's almost like, uh, you know, unsurprisingly, uh, Paul's advice to give thanks in all circumstances uh, is backed by psychology. Um, Yeah. Yeah, it's it's like, you know, God's 
requirements that we do these things, that we rejoice, that we give thanks, that we praise him. Uh, th- these are not because of something deficient in God and that he's needing these things from us, but he knows what's good for us and right. what, what uh, will, will keep us uh, aligned in a, in a way that will be for our uh, benefit, and that's just so true. And, and also like w- the way you said their research showed that it affected every aspect of their lives, including their relationships. And I really feel like, you know, for a a church community, for friendships, for families, whatever, uh, learning to be thankful, you know, first and foremost to God, but also to to each other. Uh, We all let each other down in different ways all the time, but we also do wonderful things for each other. And we have the ability to choose what we're going to focus on. And uh, to learn to be thankful and grateful to God and to eat for each other, man, it, it makes a huge difference. The, the children of Israel fed on the negativity and on their trip to a land flowing with milk and honey, you know, something even better than Disneyland. They found a way to, you know, complain and mess it up. And it just like it spread like a contagion among them until, you know, they're ready to kill Moses and go back to Egypt. And I like the way the Hebrew writer talks about that and warns us as Christians, you know, not to let this kind of root of bitterness mm. uh, that sort of grows underground. And then he says it springs up and it defiles many. So we, we all need to give careful attention to the, the power of negative uh, thinking, the power of negative speech, of murmuring, complaining, and how it really does uh, thwart God's good purposes for our lives, for the lives of those around us, for his purpose in advancing his kingdom. There's really just nothing good about it, but we can turn that around and, and praise does, and, and thanksgiving does all the opposite. Yeah, I think the point about relationships is important, and I I, I love the way, I can't remember who I got this from, but the statement expression, not emotion, is the measure of a thankful life. Mm. Uh, I think part of the reason why we struggle with gratitude in our interpersonal relationships and the people that are closest to us, family, spouse, church folk, I think part of the reason is because we assume that they know how we feel. Mm. Uh, I feel thankful and so, of course, they already know that, you know, may very well feel grateful and experience that emotion, but not express it because it's just assumed that they already know. And we do this, I think, in, in every relationship, but it's expression, not emotion. That's the measure of a thankful life. Yeah, I like that, that phrase, expression, not emotion. That's the measure of a thankful life. Someone uh, I heard once say that... Uh, uh, gr- um, gratitude uh, not expressed feels like ingratitude to the person mm. to whom it is owed. In mm. other words, you know, if if you would just assume that, oh, surely they know that I'm grateful, but you don't say it, actually it that comes across to the person who really deserves to hear a thank you or I, I, I appreciate you from them. It, it feels like ingratitude to them. Yeah, so yeah. So say it. If in doubt, say it. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. And in fact, there was a a story I came across uh, about a year ago of a woman who, by her description, just felt like perpetually unhappy, uh, depressed. And so finally, she decided that she'd go to a a Christian counselor and 
after the counselor listened to her story, rather than prescribing medication or something like that, which there I do think there are some situations that that call for that, but rather than than jump to any conclusion about a specific kind of therapy or medication to to be used, she said, uh, you know, I think the the secret to happiness is really reflection through gratitude. And so at first this woman thought, you know, okay, this is underwhelming. This is not what I was looking for. I was looking for, you know, a, a quick solution to uh, my unhappiness and discontent and experience of depression. Um, but, you know, how, how do I get rid of this feeling and, and how do I even how do I experience gratitude? How do I reflect in gratitude when I don't even feel grateful or really feel anything at all? And so the counselor said, you know, okay, I, I want you to do a 10-day project. So the last research that we talked about was was uh, 10 weeks, but this was just 10 days. And she said, just take 10 minutes each of these 10 days and run back through the day in your mind and see if there's anything, even just one thing that pops into your mind for which you feel grateful. Uh, Not what you should feel grateful for, but what do you truly feel grateful for? 10 minutes, think of just one thing. And after the 10 days, she found it to be so helpful that she then decided to take uh, take it to the next level herself for a whole year. She took one photo a day of something she was grateful for. And uh, there were several different things that were shared. It was a really beautiful project. She presented it online, and it involved things like a picture of holding her daughter's hand or uh, rain on a window or flowers blooming, uh, all sorts of things. Um, But as she shared her story, what stood out the most to me was when she began to talk about her husband. And before the project, she never found him to be very uh, romantic um, from, from her estimation. And over time, she started to notice all the little ways that he was loving her. And she concluded this whole... Uh, presentation by saying it opened my eyes to see who he was, that every day he was putting me first, but I wasn't seeing it because I wasn't looking. Mm. And that last statement, I think, really encapsulates the challenge of of gratitude and, and the challenging of just living a blessed and happy life in light of who God is. Um, you know, we as Christians do believe and, and are convinced of the fact that God is is good and loving, and He is that which grounds all reality, um, and that He is the one from whom all blessings flow. But so often we don't see it because we're just not looking. And you know what would right? Imagine a world where everyone spent ten minutes at the end of their day. Uh, just reflecting on one thing for which they're grateful and ascribing that to God and allowing that to then transform their heart 
and the way that they see the world around them, uh, I imagine the world would look like a lot, uh, like a, a bit different place. Yeah, so. those are those are some great thoughts, uh, Jared. And it, it sort of reminds me of the series we did on um, um, embodiment and uh, fearfully and wonderfully made. And and you know, part of the thing that we fall into thinking is that our our daily habits or our embodied existence uh, don't doesn't affect our mind that our mind only affects the the matter but actually you know putting into practice these habits of paying attention to our environment and thinking on the things that we're grateful for uh, I think of these as, as habitual um, embodied practices that actually affect our soul our mind our, our inner, being in profound ways. So, you know, sometimes we just sit around complaining and thinking we don't have anything to be grateful for when if we would take the active step of finding something, just something somewhere to be grateful for, uh, that actually begins to change our mood and our outlook. And we begin to see the things that we've actually just been blind to. Yeah, absolutely. Well, to kind of wrap up here, there's uh, one more passage that's on my mind, and it's probably my favorite when it comes to the topic of thankfulness and gratitude, and that's Psalm 103. And I think in this psalm, we see kind of the ultimate reason why it's good to give thanks. And it's maybe different from from what we might expect. It's just a beautiful turn that happens in the psalm. And he starts by saying, in verse 1, bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me, bless his holy name. So notice like he's speaking to himself, and I think that's where gratitude does kind of have to start. When we're feeling like it's difficult to give thanks in all circumstances, we kind of have to talk to ourselves. like bless the Lord, O my soul, all that's within me, whatever I can muster up, bless his, his holy name. And sometimes that comes naturally. It does feel like our whole being is just alive with gratitude for who God is and the way that he's blessed us. But then he says, forget not all of his benefits. And then he lists some of those. Um, He forgives all your iniquity, heals your diseases, redeems your life from the pit, crowns you with steadfast love and mercy, satisfies you with good so that your youth is renewed like eagles. Uh, the Lord works righteousness and justice for those who are oppressed. And so he's just going through naming these these incredible blessings from the hand of the Lord. And notice that they kind of go deeper than the level that we often go to when we're expressing gratitude. Um, it's not wrong to give thanks for, you know, the, the, the things that we experience day in and day out, but... Uh, and, and certainly there's nothing wrong with being repetitive in what we're grateful for. But I think those words, I mean, how often do we take gratitude to that level of just imagining God as the one who who forgives all my iniquity, who does heal diseases, who redeems my life from the pit, like all of these things, he just takes gratitude to uh, an even deeper level than sometimes we may take it. But then the most powerful part starts in verse 7 when he says, he made known his ways to Moses, his acts to the people of Israel. And then verse 8, the Lord is merciful and gracious, 
slow to anger, and abounding in steadfast love. And that, as a lot of people may know, is a quote from Exodus 34 when Moses was standing on Mount Sinai and he asked God, show me your glory. Like, let me just get a glimpse of who you are. And God does. He, uh, you know, hides him in the cleft of the rock and his glory passes before him. And it's this amazing, powerful moment in which Moses catches a glimpse of the glory of God. But in the midst of that, God declares that statement. He says, the Lord, the Lord God, merciful and gracious, slow to anger, abounding in steadfast love. And he's saying to Moses, like, this is my glory. This is who I am. And so what's going on in this psalm to me is like, he starts out saying, you know, turning inward, saying, bless the Lord, O my soul, all that's within me, bless his holy name, forget not all of his benefits. And then he starts to list them. And it's like with each one, he's almost, you could say, making an ascent up the mountain. Mm. And, and as he names one after the other, he eventually gets to the giver himself. Mm. And he says in verse 8, exactly what Moses beheld, the Lord, the Lord God, merciful and gracious, slow to anger, abounding in steadfast love. And the idea to me is is this, that if we behold our blessings for long enough, we will eventually glimpse the glory of the giver. And maybe that can happen even even with just 10 minutes a day. But if we behold our blessings, we'll, we'll see the giver the way that the psalmist puts it in Psalm 100 verse 4, enter his gates with what? With thanksgiving. It's by giving thanks in all circumstances that we enter his gates and we behold the glory of God. And God says, this is why it's good. This is why it's good to give thanks. Thanks.